It seems that the healing took place when the angel stirred the water at the pool of Bethesda. Now, this is interesting because we've discovered that today in the city of David. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hember. And I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. Today we are in John chapter 5. We're going to look at it in a few minutes, so stay there. It's going to be good. But Corey and Ryan are also here, guys. I'm taking a look at a really interesting ancient site today. Ryan? Today, Jesus teaches us about the living bread from heaven. But did you know that Proverbs 9 also refers to this spiritual food? More on that later. That's very good. Look forward to all of that. Now, Janice is also here. Janice, what's going on? Well, we have our Friday wrap-up question of the week. It's going to come to you anywhere from Luke chapter 13 through to John chapter 6. Be ready. All right, very good. Take your Bible guide, get it out and open it up because we are going to open up to John chapter 5. This is going to be a great read and we're going to learn Learn what God has said. John 5, 1 through 13. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first, after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity thirty-eight years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, a multitude being in that place. John chapter 5, verses 1 through 13. John chapter 5 and chapter 6. You know, this is interesting as we read it. Jesus challenged the thinking and the priorities of the religious leaders of his day, simply by going about his ministry. Now, Jesus didn't worry himself to keep traditions of men. That's interesting. The modifications that had been made to the Mosaic law by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. When he went to the pool of Bethesda on the Sabbath day, people may have known that trouble was on the way. The pool of Bethesda, which is under archaeological excavation right now, was believed to offer miraculous healing. 
but only when a select few got to it. Despite the many gathered there, Jesus singled out a man paralyzed for 38 years, and he had been desperately trying to beat everyone to the pool, but he never made it in time. Jesus showed mercy on him and speaking with him and then healing him on the spot. No pool required. He told the man to pick up his mat and walk. The man was stunned. He wasn't even sure who it was that healed him. The religious leaders, well, they were so offended by Jesus that his disregard for their rules upset them. They never saw the miracle. They accused Jesus of encouraging sin because Christ told the man to carry his mat. Very interesting. Now, understand this, that Jesus Christ did the miracle, but they didn't care about the miracle because they were upset about not obeying their rules. Fascinating. I'll tell you, this is a very interesting read as we study it today. Take a look at it in your Bible guide. Turn to it. Uh, go to it. And if you don't have a Bible guide talking about the truth in John 5, 1 to 13, then may I encourage you to get a hold of one by calling us or writing to us or going to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. Click on the page and it will take you to that which we are studying today. Thank you for your donations. They are very important to us. And we very much appreciate them. And Father, I pray today as we study your word that you would open up our hearts to take from your word the correction in our hearts that we need. So many people, Lord, today are just trying to get their own opinions and get credit for their own opinions and make their own opinions matter. But Lord, we desire your opinions. Christians desire to know what you want because your opinions are not opinions. The commandments are what the Lord says, and that's what we have to do. So help us today, Lord, to hear that. And in Jesus' wonderful name, we said together, amen and amen. Now, as we go into this, let's look at it because it's very important. Focus our mind and our attention on this chapter, chapter five, the first four verses. Here is what took place. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus Christ went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches, and in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. And then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease that he had. Now, this is absolutely fascinating. You see, it seems that healing took place when an angel stirred the waters at the pool of Bethesda. Now, it is Jesus Christ who has all authority to command the kingdom of God's healing. Hear me say this. I don't know if you have ever been, uh, if you've ever believed in a man healing you other than Jesus Christ. If you have, that's dangerous. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who heals. It is his Holy Spirit that does all the true healing. Now, there are some who seem to imitate or are able to 
in some way fabricate a healing, but the real healing comes to our spirit and our soul and our body altogether when Jesus Christ does the healing. Now that we find fascinating and that's really interesting. I don't know what's happening at Bethesda, the Bible doesn't tell us, other than an angel stirred the water. But Jesus Christ comes in and here's what he does. Chapter five, verse five. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to the man, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made well? Well, the sick man answered him, sir, I, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Isn't that interesting? See, many of the people who were sick were not able to get the healing. They were not able to get the healing water fast enough. It was a competition. They couldn't make it. Jesus Christ is the healing living water, the very existence of God himself. Beloved, Jesus Christ not only heals us in body, but he heals us in soul and spirit. Now that's important to remember because as we come to God, we say, Lord, we ask for healing. Now that's important, but God is the one who decides and does the answers to that because we've all been healed by coming to Christ, by knowing him and by understanding him because the gift of eternal life is for the believers in Christ, the children of God. So we ultimately are all healed. Isn't that exciting? That's fascinating. Well, let's go on because we have to get to this point. I think it's interesting. John 8, 5, 8 through 13. Jesus said to him, rise up and take your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, is it the Sabbath? It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. They didn't care that he was walking or healed. He answered them, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. And then they asked him, well, well, who is the man who said that to you? Take up your bed and walk. But no one who was healed did not know who it was. But the one who was healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Now, Jesus Christ healed the man through his word. Now, the rest of the story is fascinating. You need to read it. But there is a plan for our knowledge of God and our personal testimony of healing. God gives us a plan, beloved. And that plan is to, when we're healed, it's not just the healing. God speaks to our spirit. Something shifts, something changes inside of us that is different than it was before. That's how we know. Because God is the healer. The Holy Spirit brings us to the place where we are confronted with the reality of Jesus Christ and his healing power. And may I say today that if you are in desperate need of healing, Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray for a touch of God, healing, for your will to be done. Help us, Lord, to accept the fact that you will do what your will says. And Lord, we receive the healing. And we thank you, Lord, for healing us ultimately in eternity. And that's what we thank you for in Jesus' name. Amen. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
When you clap and when you get excited, you are celebrating life. Do you understand that? Jesus Christ gave us life. But he promised that the Holy Spirit would be sent. Welcome back to the program. Today, we read about Jesus' feeding of the 5,000 and how the people return to him the next day for more food. Well, in response, Jesus instructs them in John 6, 27, not to labor for the food which perishes, but rather for the food which endures to everlasting life. In other words, spiritual food. My Father gives you the true bread from heaven, Jesus says. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And just in case they miss the obvious, Jesus spells it out to them very clear. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. And we see this sort of setting and imagery again at the Last Supper. But believe it or not, this imagery isn't only found in the New Testament. For instance, in Proverbs chapter 9, wisdom is portrayed as a woman holding a banquet. Now, just as Jesus was using bread and water as symbols for spiritual sustenance, the imagery in Proverbs 9 is highly significant and also points to greater spiritual realities. Check it out. In Proverbs chapter 9, wisdom is depicted as a woman preparing a banquet at her house for those who are simple and lack understanding. In her preparations, she has slaughtered her meat, she has mixed her wine, and she has also furnished her table for a great feast. Evidently, this banquet was to be no ordinary meal. Indeed, in biblical times, freshly butchered meat was a mark of a feast, and when a feast was special, a homemaker would add aromatic spices to the wine to make it even tastier. This is probably what the writer of this proverb has in mind when he says that wisdom has mixed or mingled her wine. Also, this portrayal of wisdom holding a great banquet for the lost is a very fitting and powerful image of greater spiritual realities. First, notice that in this proverb, Lady Wisdom is placed in direct juxtaposition with Lady Folly. While Wisdom is busy attending to every detail like a gracious hostess, the foolish woman sits at the entrance of her house with very little to do. Further, the banquet prepared by Lady Wisdom is meant to attract the simple, just as the perfumed bed prepared by the adulterous woman is meant to attract the same inn. But while Wisdom's food leads to life, Folly's food leads to death. Thus, Wisdom's invitation counters the enticement of sinners. This theme permeates the scriptures. Throughout the Bible, God consistently gives human beings two choices, the path to life or the path to death. God always entreats his image bearers to turn and live. However, this banquet motif is especially appropriate since the prophetic pictures of the kingdom of God in the New Testament are often stated as times of feasting. Furthermore, just as wisdom offers up her food and drink, so too does Christ offer up his bread, which is his body, and his wine, which is his blood. Jesus Christ, God incarnate, is the very embodiment of wisdom according to Isaiah chapter 11 verse 2 and those who partake of his food and drink will never hunger or thirst again. They will live forever. So the food and drink offered by wisdom in Proverbs 9 is the very same food and drink offered by Christ Jesus. And this image of Lady Wisdom preparing a very tasty feast with freshly slaughtered meat and wine mixed with spices reminds us of the psalmist's words, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him.
So in this proverb, we see an invitation to eternal life, the very same invitation Jesus Christ gives to each and every one of us. Just as wisdom invites us in to eat of her food and drink of her wine, so does Christ invite us in to eat of his bread and drink of his wine, which is his body and blood. And don't be confused. This isn't physical food and drink. It's spiritual. It's spiritually consuming the fact that Jesus Christ, a holy and perfect God, bled and died for your sins. He became a substitute for you and me because as sinful human beings, we can never make it to heaven on our own. But this isn't just intellectually believing that Jesus died and rose again. It's personally accepting the transaction that Jesus made on your behalf. That's why John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son that whosoever believes on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It's not just believing in him intellectually, but it's believing on or into him. It's accepting the transaction of Jesus's life for yours. He's offered you the gift of salvation, but only you can accept it. The question is, will you do that today if you haven't? Because time is running out. You know, time is quickly running out. I, I need to make that clear. And uh, it's hard for some people to realize and understand that God died for our sin because this, this is alien to them. They, mm -hmm. They're not used to anybody dying for anybody's sin. And yet God did that because he wanted to make us acceptable to the Lord. Because for us to be acceptable to God, uh, there had to be a price paid because of the sin that we uh, performed at the yeah. beginning of time. That's and right. it's very, very important to remember that. So when we say come to Christ, that's exactly what we mean. Come to Jesus Christ and confess your sin and say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. I need you in my life. Help me, Lord, and be the Lord of my life in Jesus' name. Amen. Very, very important. Do that today. Thank you. Corey. All right. Well, I know that our assigned reading was John 5 and 6 today, but I want to go back a little bit to the earlier chapters of John and back even further to the other Gospels when they talk about John the Baptist, because although the place name Machaerus does not appear in the Bible or the Gospels at all, Machaerus was an incredibly important location in the time of Jesus and John the Baptist. And according to the first century historian Josephus, Machaerus was the place of John the Baptist's imprisonment and ultimately the place of his execution. Now, that imprisonment and execution of John the Baptist is recorded a few times in the Gospels. Remember Mark chapter 6. It lets us know that Herod Antipas had imprisoned John for speaking against his marriage to Herodias, who was his sister-in-law. And history tells us that for this marriage to take place, they both divorced their current spouses to get married, an act that would come back to haunt Antipas in more than one way. First, by becoming guilty of murdering John the Baptist, and then second, by having to meet his former father-in-law in a battle that he would lose. But back to Mark chapter 6, we learned that Antipas actually enjoyed hearing John the Baptist speak to amuse himself. But in order to fulfill a lustful oath to his stepdaughter during his birthday banquet, Antipas had John beheaded. And then John's disciples courageously came to inquire of his body and they're allowed to bury it. Mark 6 goes into this background story to inform us that Herod Antipas had heard that Jesus was actually John the Baptist risen from the dead, as a few people in the Old Testament had also been risen from the dead, that is. 
But for our purposes today, we're more concerned about the location of Antipas's banquet, the palace fortress of Machaerus. Now, Machaerus is mostly remembered as being built by Antipas's father, Herod the Great. But while Herod the Great was responsible for completely reimagining and rebuilding Machaerus, it was originally founded by the Hasmoneans in 90 BC and then destroyed by Rome in 57 BC. Now, its location was really unmatched. It was east of the Dead Sea, and from its mountainous seat, it commanded views of Jerusalem, Masada, Jericho, and several of the fortified cities of Israel. So it was defensively and strategically important as a first line of defense against any attack from the east. It could signal by fire or smoke to the cities east of the Dead Sea, so a potentially crucial warning signal. Okay, so Herod the Great turned the ruins of Machaerus from just a citadel, a fortress, to a luxurious palace complete with lower city. John the Baptist then would have been housed in the lower city and the infamous banquet of Antipas would have occurred up in the palace. And today that palace has been excavated. And not only has the paved banquet hall been found and partially reconstructed, but now even the location of Antipas's throne has been identified, the throne niche as it's called. Now this is the place from which Antipas would have given the order to execute John the Baptist. Archaeology has also clarified for us why Salome, the daughter of Herodias, would have needed to leave the party to consult with her mother, Herodias. There were two banquet halls. Presumably, the women partied in one and the men in another. So to ask her mother's advice, Salome had to go to the women's side. Now, intriguingly, there has been some recent news about Machaerus. 19 ostraca, which are potsherds with writing on them, were rediscovered in 2019, and they were given to a researcher for translation. But until more news comes out, we wait in anticipation to see what they said. Yeah, but I, I think this is fascinating. There's a lot being discovered. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> so they have determined that the place where he gave the order, mm -hmm. you know, go take his head and the whole thing, Still exists. And, so and the foundation, at least, is there. That that that's a, that's absolutely amazing. Yeah. So if you if you are studying archaeology, you have a lot being discovered. They discovered Shiloh. They've discovered they're still digging there, and they've discovered the uh, Pool of Bethesda. They've discovered yeah. this other stuff. And they just keep coming up with stuff. Yeah, and, and part of the reason for that is that sites won't be fully excavated all at the same time because the technology that's used in archaeology is always getting better and the methods are always being refined. So the common practice is to excavate part of the site, but not all of it, to leave it for future generations who potentially have better technology to help excavate it. So there's there's going to be this constant learning process. And I mean, one of the things at Macaris is everyone wants more excavations to happen in the lower city because the lower city, it has a lot of history in and of itself, but of course that's where John the Baptist would have been imprisoned and executed, and potentially some of John's uh, disciples were staying there as well. It was a brave thing for them to ask for the body, right? And where did they bury it? Did they bury it in Machaerus? Was there something there? So there's a lot of questions that that potentially have very cool answers. So the 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 end, the, you just said it, it's a brave thing to ask for John's body. Very much so. Because that 
I mean, Herod could just wipe out those guys too. And they didn't necessarily know that Herod Antipas begrudgingly killed John the Baptist. They, there was, there may have been no way for them to know that unless one of the guards told them, you know? So they, by associating themselves with John the Baptist and bold, boldly coming forward, they were putting themselves at risk of also being executed for the same crime as John the Baptist because they didn't know for which crime he was being executed. He could have been being executed for saying that the marriage was wrong and against the Jewish law. And so then he could have pulled forward the disciples and said, is this wrong? And killed them for the same crime. So very interesting. I'm telling you, it's we just need to keep an eye on this. And uh, it's it's interesting about the technology, because as they discover and God shows us more and more stuff, we're finding out these things are true. These places are real. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. This is the last day before October 21st. We're going to be live at Faith Gospel Tabernacle. The last time I'll say it, so the people are tired of me saying <laughs> In it. Person. <laughs> In person. In person. You're us. all going to be there live. We're going to be there tomorrow. It's going to be exciting. Come 1 till 5.30 p.m. at Faith Gospel Tabernacle in Brampton, Ontario, Canada. And they come across the border if you're from New York or if you're from anywhere in Ontario, join us. And uh, we're going to have a good time. Okay, minute 24 left. Go All for right. the question. We can do it. And we're going to have some questions there just like these that we do on Friday. Uh, just for a little bit of fun. All right. So, Ryan and Corey, you're on the hot seat today. How many lepers were healed by Jesus, but only one came back to thank him? How many lepers were healed by Jesus, but only one came back to thank him? Eight, nine, or ten? I see some hand signals happening. <laughs> I didn't do anything. No, right. I'm, I'm pretty confident. I, I, yeah. I kept this, my this hands. There you go. I could be wrong, but well, I'm, I'm pretty confident. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think yeah, we're going to go with that. Ten. ten. You're going to yeah. go with ten. All right. Now, you that are watching at home, if you have chosen ten, well, let's read Luke chapter 17, verse 17. So Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Very good. So if you guessed 10, you're absolutely right. 10 lepers were healed by Jesus, but only one came back to say thank you. That's very good. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Very good, guys. So make sure that you make uh, some plans to join us if you can uh, tomorrow as we look forward to seeing you. And uh, it's the first time we've done a live event like that in one place. And so we'll just see what the Lord does. And praise God, we'll have some fun with some questions like mm -hmm. this too. So it'll be great. Well, this is the last time I'll say it, but uh, October the 21st tomorrow, that's when we are going to be live at Faith Gospel Tabernacle in Brampton, Ontario, Canada. And I'd like to see you there if possible. We're also going to stream it, but I would like to see you in person. We don't get a chance to do that. So go to our website and register. Lord, I wanna pray, I wanna act and react according to your Holy Spirit, according to how you've taught me and trained me to do so. Help me, Lord. 
in Jesus' wonderful name. And we said together, amen.